Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of mess attendant, first class, Doris Miller. Miller was serving on the USS West Virginia, docked at Pearl Harbor in December of 1941. So the time period we're going to talk about, the, the, the specific action we're going to talk about is a 90-minute window on the morning of December 7th, 1941, during the Japanese surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. Miller would be on the receiving end, and for his actions that day would be awarded the Navy Cross, the second highest military valor award, second only to the Medal of Honor. But to really tell the story of Miller, we have to dive into a few more areas here. And one of the areas is race. Miller's a black sailor. And there are going to be debates from right after this event through today that the action was deserving of the Medal of Honor. And as is the case in many, many instances throughout our history, and, and when we're talking specific to the Second World War, it happened often in the Second World War, people weren't always recommended for the awards that they were maybe deserving of, sometimes because of their race. Um, we talked about a story not long ago, Lieutenant John Fox, who was fighting with the Buffalo Soldiers, an all-black unit in Italy, and called in an artillery strike on his own position as they were being overrun. He was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross and had to wait, or maybe might have even been, a, I think it was the Distinguished Service Cross. But anyways, it was decades later before that case was reviewed and determined, wait a minute, this was this was a Medal of Honor. We just didn't push him up maybe as, we, as he should have been at the time. That is going to be one piece of the Doris Miller story. One piece of his story is that his award likely should have been and may still be upgraded to a Medal of Honor, but there's more to it that helps paint the picture of his actions that day on December 7th. So Miller is a mess attendant. Now that job, when you dive into the description and what that entailed during World War II is not desirable. That's not a job that people grow up saying, I can't wait to join the Navy and be a mess attendant. Now, over time, jobs change in every branch of the military and, and roles shift and all sorts of things. And and it sounds a little bit like cook, um, mess attendant does. Cooks are very important jobs and a lot of people join the military to do that. And it's a great way to get your start today and, and throughout history. Mess attendants are not necessarily cooks. Miller wasn't, he, he might've been helping in some cases. His primary job was not to cook. Mess attendants cleaned up after the officers. Mess attendants shine shoes, not their shoes. Well, probably their shoes, but they shine the shoes of the officers. They made the officers beds. They cleaned the officers quarters. There were on, on more than one occasion, I came across the phrase personal servant when it was describing um, mess attendants. So I don't know how many people join the Navy with that. To, if 
Not very many people look at that and say, that's the thing I want to do. But there are a lot of people that say, I want to be in the military. I want to be in the service. And if that's the only thing I can do, then I'll do that. That's the case with Miller. So somebody who certainly could have done a heck of a lot of or all of the jobs on the USS West Virginia is doing the one job that or one of you know a handful of jobs that the Navy at the time authorizes him to do. And that's going to be important to his story, kind of doing what's needed of him to be a team player. So if we look at Pearl Harbor on a, on a larger level here in that attack, it's going to be the, the start of the Second World War, really the start of the Second World War for the United States. So there's conflict going around the globe at this point. Japan's been at war for years. Germany's been at war. Great Britain's at war. Italy's at war. Um, it's the United States entry really kicks off December 7th, 1941. And roughly speaking, the Japanese goal with attacking Pearl Harbor is going to be a gamble. They um, are in need of more and more resources as their empire expands and they are expanding rapidly. They are, you know, I think we can look at it pretty easily and say that it was aggressive. It was, there was a lot of brutality in some of the places they took over, but they also were very, very successful on the military front. Whether or not they accomplished that goal for the right reasons or went about it the right way, they were dominant on the battlefield for a little while here. Now, they were running into some trouble in China, but in terms of picking off territory in the Pacific, the Japanese were steamrolling folks. And the concern that they had, one of their concerns was twofold. They were running short on, um, starting to run short on, um, on supplies, materials, oil is a big one. And the United States has recently kind of put in place a embargo is not the right term, but we're starting to penalize Japan for some of their actions in China. And we also have the largest fleet in the Pacific that could potentially threaten Japan. So the idea is going to be to strike a blow to Pearl Harbor. And hopefully what that does is it forces the United States to come to grips with what are we doing interfering with Japanese Chinese policy? Why do we really care? Are we really going to send our soldiers, our sailors, our Marines across the Pacific to fight this war against Japan? And Japan thinks that if they can knock out enough of our power at Pearl Harbor, which is really the base of the Pacific fleet, that the American sentiment is not going to be, let's go get revenge. It's going to be, what are we even doing out there? This isn't, it's not crazy at the time. After World War I, Everyone was looking a little more isolationist. People weren't that excited to jump back into a global conflict, even though it was happening. So it wasn't a crazy gamble for Japan to think that if they could just punch us once on the nose real hard, then we might say, fine, whatever. We're going to work a little bit more in, in the North America region and, and maybe not, not deal with the cost of fighting halfway around the world. It was a risky gamble. Um, but Japan was was nearing a point where they were having to take more serious gambles at that point in the conflict. So again, very early point in the conflict for the United States. Um, Japan's been fighting for a little while. Nonetheless, at 7.48 in the morning on December 7th, 1941, Japanese planes appear over Pearl Harbor. And they start hitting targets quickly. 
Now, the United States is not at war. We don't know it. We will, I mean, we're going to be engaged in combat very quickly. The declaration of war will come later. What that means is American forces at Pearl Harbor aren't on some level of high alert. Sure, there's been talk of tensions with Japan, but there really weren't, there wasn't any reasonable expectation for the sailors and the troops on the ground to think that an attack could come at any day. What that means is that maybe not all of the ammunition is loaded on the ships, because why does it need to be when you're docked in port? There were aircraft that weren't, you know, able to take off quickly, didn't have ammunition loaded on the aircraft, because why need it? You're, you're at a friendly base. You're not at war. Why leave bombs strapped to the side of, of an aircraft? Why have, why have your anti-aircraft weapons on the battleships loaded? You're in friendly port. So the Japanese get a quick edge on the American forces in Pearl Harbor. And as that first wave comes in, they're looking for aircraft carriers and battleships. Fortunately for the United States, in a move that would end up, you know, we'll say, we'll have to say that it was luck because, again, nobody said Pearl Harbor attack is coming. So let's get people out of there. The aircraft carriers weren't there, the battleships were. So a lot of the Japanese focus moved towards these battleships in an area known as Battleship Row. Battleship Row was in the middle of Pearl Harbor. Right in the middle of Pearl Harbor is an island, about one mile wide, one mile long by about a half mile wide called Ford Island. And around that island where it was where a lot of the um, warships were, were docked. And the battleships were tethered side by side and in a lot of cases were in, in, in a row, really. The reason for that is because the biggest concern the U.S. military was, was worried about at this time was not the Japanese coming in and striking like they did on December 7th, but sabotage. And put yourself in the shoes of military planners and strategists. If you have a bunch of ships or a bunch of aircraft and your concern is sabotage, somebody's going to go out there and, and you know, cut the tires, if you will, and, and do something to damage the aircraft or to damage your ships, to damage your aircraft, it makes it, it makes sense to consolidate them and move them together. It's easier to keep watch of these things if they're next to each other. But by doing that, they become more susceptible to the type of attack that's going to happen. Now, if it had been the other way, and we said the biggest concern was air attack, and we spread them all across the island, the damage on December 7th wouldn't have been as severe, but they would have been susceptible to um, sabotage for weeks, months, years leading up to it. So, you know, as the decisions made at the time and you've got these battleships lined up in battleship row and on battleship row, you have a few that are facing the inside and a few that are facing the outside inside, meaning the battleship sits between another battleship and Fort Island outside, meaning it has one battleship on a side. The other side is the open area of Pearl Harbor. That's going to be important. Because a lot of these Japanese aircraft are coming in with torpedoes. Well, a torpedo can't hit something if it doesn't have access to the water. So you've got two or three battleships that are kind of snug between land and another battleship. They're not going to be hit with torpedoes. Well, the West Virginia is on the outside. And because of that, the West Virginia gets hit by two bombs and seven torpedoes. That's a lot. It's a stationary target. 
it's an easy target. There's not a lot of anti-aircraft fire, but it starts taking damage pretty quickly. As soon as those explosions start going off, Doris Miller moves to his position. He has a battle station, as does everybody on the ship. His battle station is in an anti-aircraft battery. Now, his job is not going to be firing that gun because black sailors weren't trained on how to fire weapons. They weren't combat troops in the Navy. Their designation was what I was talking about, the, the mess attendants. They were borderline servants to the officers. They would now... When combat kicked off, they would carry ammunition. They would help load ammunition, hand it up into the hatch. They would, they would, there were a lot of other jobs they would do, but train on weapon systems? No, sir. Not, not in the job description. Don't you worry about that. There's enough sailors here that are trained. You just carry ammunition. So Miller moves to his first battle station where he will be helping to carry and, and load ammunition, but it's underwater. It's not, I mean, not underwater. It's taking on water. It's damaged. It's out of use. So here comes Miller back to the, the main area of the ship doing what got him into the Navy in the first place saying, I'm here. What can I do? I mean, you know, he's, he's a mess attendant. Doesn't have to worry about that right now in the midst of an attack and his battery, his anti-aircraft battery that he's normally manning is out. He's a free agent. He can go anywhere that he's needed which is really important in the first few moments at Pearl Harbor because we're not expecting an attack, which means that not everybody's on board. It means that not all of the batteries are loaded up, the, the anti-aircraft batteries. It means that there might not be as much ammunition in the storehouse as is needed. So these battle drills that we run through at all times with a full ship and out at sea and, and with some level of readiness, we're doing this, we... The United States is doing this from a different capacity. So you need flexibility across the board. Miller is the epitome of that, showing up saying, what do you, what do you need? What do you got? Right away, so Miller's the, the heavyweight boxing champion on the ship. Big dude, strong dude. Immediately gets sent up to help, to to pick up their wounded commanding officer, Captain Mervyn Binion, who would go on to be awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions during this battle as well. Binion is mortally wounded with a gash across his, his midsection from the opening attacks um, on their ship. Miller is sent up to, to get him and move him down to a more secure location. So he does that, and as soon as he's complete, his he's a couple officers come by and say, we're going to move over to these anti-aircraft guns. Come help us. Um, you can, you can help load ammunition. You can bring us ammunition. So they take off to a couple anti-aircraft guns. They're 50 caliber machine guns. And when they get to those machine guns, they start to load them up. But something you have to remember is this is a 90 minute attack. Start to finish at Pearl Harbor. It is nonstop chaos for about 90 minutes. You know, how long does it take you? If, if bombs started going off in your neighborhood, how long does it take you to get your bearings and figure out what's going on, let alone start fighting back? So the overall attack, there's not a lot of time to catch your breath and get moving. It's pretty action-packed from the get-go. So they get over to these machine guns. Now, the ship has oil spills. There's ammunition laying on the deck. There's fires burning 
in all sorts of places. They're having to dodge some of these fires. There's Japanese planes strafing as they fly by. Um, it's hell on, on, on a lot of these ships, especially ones like the West Virginia that are taking this many hits. It's hell. Miller runs over to these machine guns, these 50 caliber machine guns with these two officers and begins loading. And as one of the officers turns around, gets distracted for a minute, which happens in the chaos that is this 90 minute battle. He turns around, looks back and Miller who has never fired and doesn't know how to operate a 50 caliber machine gun or so it said is on that weapon system, hammering rounds into the oncoming Japanese fighters. Now, after the, the incident, he said, I'd watched enough people do it that, you know, it wasn't that hard, but nonetheless, he's never been on a 50 caliber machine gun. He gets on it in the heat, in the, the most intense combat that the United States Navy has seen since, I don't know, I mean, World War One, right? And he's launching rounds at the Japanese planes as they're coming in, strafing his position. Miller stays on that machine gun, firing it amidst, you know, flames and, and, and oil spills and machine gun rounds from the Japanese fighters hitting all around about 15 minutes before he expends the, the, you know, all of his ammunition. At that point, he gets off the weapon system. The ship is really starting to struggle. So Miller takes his turn at saving American lives. He starts running around the ship, gathering wounded sailors that can't get off the ship and carries them through, often through waist deep water and oil. It's something that's so easy to overlook. Maybe it's just for me, but it's not as though it's just water coming on board. It's water and everything else. I'm going to bring up oil because oil will burn. It'll sit on the surface of the water and burn, which makes it a challenge, if you will, to move around. But everything is going to be floating around. Food, clothes, bodies, parts of bodies. Miller's moving through all of this, carrying sailor after sailor out to safety. An unknown number survived because Miller carried them off the ship. At the end of the day, 106 Americans would die on the USS West Virginia, that's out of a total of just over 2,300 total killed at Pearl Harbor. Now, Miller survives. Survives, and immediately after the attack, very soon after the attack, you know, this is, we're rallying the nation after Pearl Harbor, right? So we want heroes. And what's interesting is Miller's story is told but it, it, the, the description is an unnamed black soldier. They didn't give his name. Now, it didn't take long for it to come out, but there was a little bit of pushback right then to say, hey, what the heck is this? You tell his story, but don't give his name. Miller very quickly became, you know, one of the first heroes of the Second World War. He would soon be awarded the Navy Cross. It was at the time the third highest award for valor, but would within a year or two swap with the distinguished service cross and end up being the second highest in the Navy. But something else that's interesting is that we've talked about this in other medals of honor, medal of honor stories where 
somebody doesn't get the recommendation because of their race at the time, there was a Senate and House motion, maybe is the right way to say it. How about this? There was a U.S. Senator and a U.S. Representative that pushed for his award to be upgraded to the Medal of Honor in 1942. So right away, there was a motion to, to have this upgraded. It wasn't. It was one of the challenging things with these awards is there's not it's not like it goes it's like like not like a Supreme Court case where you get to hear arguments and and there's notes taken afterwards and a detailed description. They just it was just overridden. I think the Secretary of the Navy said nope and one other you know a congressman or somebody said I second that and that was it. It was it was done. Nonetheless, it's come up a couple times since then, and it's it's even still a fight today to see if he'll be awarded the Medal of Honor. But let's go back to the Second World War. Miller would go back out into service, continue to fight in the Pacific. He was serving on a ship called the USS Liscombe Bay, and on November 24th, 1943, that ship was sunk during the Battle of Macon. And Miller, along with the majority of sailors on that ship, would perish. To bring it back to um, modern times here. You know what? One thing I don't think I've mentioned and, and deserves mentioning. Doris Miller was the first black Navy Cross recipient in history. So that he will forever hold. Um, what we don't know today as you sit here September 6, 2020 is if that Navy Cross will be upgraded to the Medal of Honor. I don't know. I was thinking about this before we started today. I don't know if that jump gets easier or harder with time. When it's simply a case of documentation, I have to think that it gets harder. But when you factor in the the race at the the, the racial issues at the time, we've started to do better, like the case that I brought up earlier, First Lieutenant John Fox. But we also lose documentation as we go. So I don't know. I don't know if we're more likely to see this upgraded or less. But something to note is that I want to say there were around a dozen medals of honor. No, I won't say a number because I don't think I have it off the top of my head. Awarded during Pearl Har- the attack on Pearl Harbor. And Miller's actions are up there. And I think could be argued maybe more impressive than a handful of others that were awarded the Medal of Honor. So I think there's a chance it'd be nice. It'd be wonderful for his family to receive the recognition. But nonetheless, he's viewed as a hero of the Second World War, a legend in the Navy. Um, And just recently, it was announced that there will be a, a to be built. So the ship hasn't been built yet. Um, I believe an aircraft carrier that's going to be named after Doris Miller. So long one, um, but there's a lot of little pieces in there that, that come into play with, with his story. But incredible action during the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, Doris Miller manning a machine gun, shooting down an estimated two to five enemy aircraft. Talk about numbers that nobody's really been able to nail down. So take your pick between two and five seems pretty safe awarded the Navy Cross for that action.
Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.